Hello and welcome to the Moonshots Podcast. It's episode 58. I'm your co-host, Mike Parsons, and as always, I'm joined by the man from Brooklyn, or better yet, the new uncle from Brooklyn. Hello, Chad Owen. Hey, Mike. Yeah, I want to give a shout out to my six-day-old nephew, Nas. If you're listening to this into the future, welcome to the to the past. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, what a week, Chad. I hope everyone in the family is well, and I, I am hoping that they're getting some deep rest. Yes. Yes, I, I see what you did there, Mike. We <laughs> are moving into yet another series where we're focused on extracting as much information as we can from, I think, yours and my favorite source of learning, the, you know, these antiques uh, known as books. Yeah. <laughs> but we've, we've got a fantastic author that we're turning our attention to, and that's Cal Newport. Yeah, he is, he is a really cool guy. Um, the reason I like Cal so much is that actually, if you look formally at him, he's like an engineering dude. He's a, he's a geek and he writes algorithms, um, as a professor at Georgetown. And the funny thing is that in an effort to master his work, he's developed all these practices and then he ended up writing these books, which are, you know, many of which are uh, New York Times bestsellers. Cal, I'm going to go this far, Chad. I think the reason our audience should be so interested in Cal Newport, he's almost an emerging, he's almost Simon Sinek-like, and we've just got through a massive series on him. I would say he covers very different topics, but he's sort of caught the zeitgeist on better ways to work and to live. Wouldn't you say, Chad? Yeah, I love the practicality of what he's written. And it comes from his direct experience, both as a student, a PhD student going up and defending his dissertation. And then now, as you mentioned, as a as a professor. And yeah, I think there's this interesting intersection between like the hardcore engineering and his very long uh, career as an academic up to this point. And it's while it contrasts with Simon Sinek's kind of quite lofty, you know, aspirational uh, things for us to live by and do, Cal gives us some really simple and practical things that we can apply today. And that, that's why I'm actually excited to pick up with Cal. I read the book that we're going to be talking about today, Deep Work, about a year and a half ago. Mm. And I've kind of let the practices fall by the side. So I'm, I'm really excited to dive back in with you and, and the listeners to, to reincorporate uh, all the amazing stuff that's that's in in the pages of deep work. Oh, this is perfect, Chad, because you're you're literally in need of a deep work uh, top up, a boost. I am. Um, I am. L- let's try and give you that because um, I have to say that deep work as um, a concept has probably only been on my radar probably for the last five or ten years, but particularly the last five to seven. And I love the opportunity to do deep work. Deep work for me just equals mastery. And mastery is the currency of the 21st century, of the information age. And um, I think uh, this is one of the most important things. Uh, if you want to just not only be good at something, but you 
you deeply want to be great at something, then I believe that you need to deploy deep work as a practice in order to get there. And we've got the guy who wrote the book, Chad. So I can't undersell, I can't, sorry, I can't oversell the importance of this in how I've experienced mastering different things and continue to to search for that mastery. I mean, just yesterday, Chad, I locked myself in my study for a day. I wrote, recorded, produced, and published an entire innovation course. And I was just so single-minded. Everything was turned off. Emails weren't getting answered. Everything was off, and it was just deep. And I love it. And I just wish I could do more than I get the chance to. But when I do, it's some of the most satisfying work of my week. I, how is it for you with deep work? You, 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 you confess, Chad, that you've maybe uh, uh, strayed from the path. Well, I haven't done the hard work of making the time for deep work. I've, I've been very distracted by the urgent work that needs to be done. And, and yeah, I think maybe I lost sight in how important it is to make the time for that deep work. Like, the fact that you went from nothing to published course in a day, I think if that's not enough to convince us that we need to uh, incorporate this, uh, I don't know what is. But you you might be wondering what exactly deep work is. Mike and I have kind of been talking about the concept in the abstract, but um, let's go straight to Cal and learn what exactly he defines as deep work. Tell us what deep work is, and then we'll drill in from there. Yeah, so uh, I define deep work to be when you're focusing without distraction on a cognitively demanding task. Got it. And the book is basically, which kind of leads us to the deep work hypothesis, right? Um, which you establish in the book and then spend the first half uh, kind of proving it, and then the second half showing us how to apply it. Can you tell us what the deep work hypothesis is? Yeah, this is the the foundation on which the whole book is written and the foundation on which actually I live my life, so it's pretty important. Uh, and that's the idea that deep work uh, is becoming more valuable in our economy. So it's becoming one of the most valuable skills you can do in our economy at the same time that it's becoming more rare. So people more and more are losing their ability to actually do deep work. So that is a classic uh, economic scarcity scenario. Something is becoming more valuable while it's becoming more rare. And the conclusion of that is, uh, if you're one of the few to cultivate a deep work ability, you're going to thrive. I couldn't agree more. There, I mean, there we got it from Cal Newport himself. This really is a pathway to thriving in any sort of passion, vocation, business work, whatever, however you might choose to apply it, deep work is the thing because for me it's that we're surrounded by a world of noise and deep work is this practice of where instead of knowing just half of the picture or half of the story, you can like know something back to front and upside down and when you do that, you can then apply it to your work and get the benefit of it. And, and to me, deep work is the elixir, it's the medicine to all what you might call the shallow work that we get so preoccupied with. Yeah, I, I love his economic argument as well, where he's saying, hey, just the fact of the marketplace now in, in, the, in the job and, and skill and abilities market is such that those of us that can cultivate this 
uh, deep workability will be more more productive and therefore also more valuable. So, you know, he's saying that there's a financial incentive and like a career advancement incentive for us to invest in this as well. But, you know, you brought up the idea of shallow work. You know, it's not easy to do this deep work because there's all these competing forces. And so here's how Cal conceives of the difference between uh, what, what deep work is versus what shallow work is. Tell us the difference and tell us where most of us spend our time. <laughs> yeah, it, it's important because people are not, uh, they're not lazy, right? So it, it's not the case that most people just aren't working much. Uh, yeah, at the same time, they're, they're doing less and less deep work and, and getting worse at deep work. So what are they doing instead? So this is where we have this notion of what I call shallow work, uh, which are tasks that uh, do not require distraction-free focus. They tend to be logistical in nature. Um, they, they tend not to actually apply your hard-won skills or create a lot of new value in the world. Uh, this includes uh, things such as doing email and meetings and sort of PowerPoint slides and, and social media optimization and tweaking your website. All of this type of things is shallow work. Uh, it's not that there's no value in shallow work, but it does not require distraction-free focus, and it's not producing massive amounts of new value. Uh, so the, the reason why we're busier than we've ever been before, yet doing less and less deep work than ever before, is that we're spending more and more of our waking hours dedicated to these shallow work efforts. Yeah, this just triggers this uh, visual in my head of all the people that you see just being busy, mm -hmm. but not really productive. And I think one of the greatest time suckers or shallow practices is emails and meetings that don't really need to happen. And, you know, how many people do you see or experience, or even for yourself that matter, find that you're just going from meeting to meeting to meeting to meeting? And at the end of a day that's full of meetings for me, I literally feel like I have achieved nothing. Yeah, it's so easy for people to just jump onto our calendars and send us endless invites and fill our inboxes. And as you say, kind of, you know, deal with all these urgent requests for our time. Uh, when it's, it's actually, you know, the, the art of setting aside and blocking out that time that, uh, is really the only way for us to, to combat that. Yeah, and I think it's sh perhaps short versus long term here. Like it's in the short term, it's instantly gratifying to see that, oh, my whole day is booked with appointments. How busy am I? How productive am I? But therein lies the break, doesn't it? Because productivity doesn't come from just bouncing from meeting to meeting to meeting to meeting. And I think if we can all like, sort of develop this sense of I need minimum an hour to a day devoted to no meetings, no calls, no email, to think, to reflect, to work, to build insights and thoughts, to get thoughts out of your head and just write, whatever it is, you know, there is this deep need not just to fill the day with this shallow work. And I think what Cal is really encouraging, encouraging us to do is to see all the value that is in doing the deep work, particularly because it's kind of hard to do. So not many people are doing it. And I think that this is one of the biggest meta observations of how people work these days. They're all very busy. They're all getting interrupted a lot, 
but are they really producing? And I think Cal is laying the, the context here for what comes later, which is, you know, how we might think about going about deep work. Yeah, and he doesn't just say, hey, do deep work. He's actually got a, a formula and in this earlier hypothesis of his and this great uh, definition of deep work uh, that all kind of come together that helps us understand the difference between the deep and the shallow work, how we know that the activities that we're doing are actually you know, making a difference and having an impact in what you're doing. So here's Cal talking about the formula for deep work. Deep work allows you to produce at a massively higher level of productivity. Deep work allows you to produce at a massively higher level of value. Uh, your output in three, it helps you quickly learn complicated, valuable things. It's so good. And you have a formula that captures the, the kind of production rate. High-quality work produced equals time spent times intensity of focus. Um, and that example of the dissertation is fantastic. Your life, I think, is a fantastic example. You mentioned Adam Grant as well, um, and many others in the book. So what's really interesting about this, Chad, is that there's the allocation of the time, but what we're starting to see in these clips is the reference to the intensity and to the focus of this. And at, at the heart of this, it's like, the half the battle, if not more, is making the time. But then for me, deep work, once I've got that slot, it's all about don't check your emails, get away from social media, and then really go deep. And then later in the show, we've actually got some clips that are going to go deep into some of the practices that our our listeners uh, and you and I, Chad, we can all do these practices um, to go super deep. I think... The real point here is once you carve out the time, you've got to go deep and intensively into it. And for me, Chad, this is something that I I hadn't done for a couple of weeks. And when I did it yesterday, it felt so good. But it felt like a gigantic effort to make that time. When you've when you've made time for deep work. What are the ways you've made it possible or easy, Chad? Like, it's it's still not even easier for me, and I love the stuff, and I can quickly fall into like a week of shallow work if I'm not careful. Mm-hmm. How do how do you kind of what are your cheats to creating deep work, and or what are the challenges you face? Where are you at with that? I mean, it's been any number of things. Um, for the longest time in my early career, I worked from home. And one of the best decisions I made was to get an office space. Mm. And just the mere fact that I was driving into a different part of town and being in a different space made a, a big difference for me. And, you know, I had a workspace that was designed and laid out in a way that was kind of optimized for me to to be doing that deep work. You had a standing desk and then I also had a sitting desk for the different modes. And that was one way that I was able to combat that. But that's a really good point. Sorry to interrupt, but that's a really good point. Your environment sets you up. So this is this reminds me, it's very similar. If you want to sleep well, you get blackout curtains, you don't have any devices. It's just the same with deep work. Mm-hmm. I love to get into my study. I don't go in the office. I don't sit at the kitchen table. I go into the study, I close the door, and I often will do it. This is another interesting thing that you've reminded me of. It's not only the the space, 
but I do it really early in the morning, like five o'clock. Like I get up super early and I'm, I'm on a mission to go deep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I also try to protect my mornings for that as well. But I, I think what's happened to me is like the routine of getting into the shallow work first thing has kind of crept in because Mm. of this kind of felt urgency of things that's going on. Mm -hmm. But like if I'm getting up and I'm getting into the office at six, like surely all that stuff can wait till 10 or 11. Like who's actually like doing work until that time anyway. So I think um, it's kind of this false sense of, uh, of urgency. And I like going back to this idea of time spent times quality of focus, sometimes we can get one of them, right. But if we don't have both of them, it's not, that like exponential increase in just like evolution and leveling up that you get if you add them or actually multiply them together. And so I think for me, it's been that focus mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. that's been lacking lately. The You make a really good point that it's, it's, it's about the space, it's about the time. And if those emails are distracting you, when I want to go deep, I actually will skip two practices. I don't write my journal and I don't write, I don't check my email. I go straight to the task at hand. And I just know that that gets me into it because, because I work with so many people on different time zones. My inbox when I wake up can be quite uh, heavy duty thanks to, you know, North America and Europe. So if I really want to go deep, I don't even look at it. Uh, for like three hours. Uh, and if you can break the back of it and do it a couple of times, it actually becomes like you're really grateful because, you know, ignorance is bliss. I don't want to know what's in the inbox. Um, so that might be on your deep days, maybe just say, I'm not going to look in the inbox. Yeah. I, an idea that I had was just to put my phone in my backpack and just go through my morning routine and get to the office and don't take the phone out of the backpack until I've emerged, uh, having completed the deep work. And the reason that works so well for me, Chad, is I know I do my best and clearest thinking in the morning. I do not do it in the second half of the day. So any effort I can do to allocate my brain power to the most important thing, I will do that. And I know that email will just eat away, you know, we're going to talk a little bit about attention residue later, but if I've opened up that inbox, go through my emails for half an hour and then get to work, I'm still going to be, I don't know, it's going to be, there's an edge that's taken off mm-hmm. because I, it's, it's, it's like allocating RAM to your email. You don't instantly get it back. It, it takes time. And sometimes if something significant is in your inbox is really hard to not think about. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is. I mean, I'm taking so many mental notes now of how I can improve my deep work practice, but I want to get back to the clips here and Cal not only, you know, moves forward this idea that he's really fleshed out in, in deep work, but he, he also ties it to other research, other, you know, brain research, psychology, behavioral economics, like all of these different things. And uh, here's a clip where he's tying it to all the work that some of you may be familiar with around this idea of deliberate practice. There is a lot of connections between, uh, from the world of performance psychology, the notion of deliberate practice uh, and deep work. Deep work is actually a broader notion 
than deliberate practice, but we can learn a lot about it from the deliberate practice literature. Um, so one of the reasons, I, I really say there's three reasons why I think deep work is becoming more valuable. And uh, one of the reasons is exactly what you just touched on there, um, which is this notion that deep work is what's required to actually learn hard things. So we, we know now as the simple things, the rote things are becoming outsourced and automated, uh, the people who are valuable today are those who can really keep up with uh, complicated new information. They can master new uh, computer systems or programming languages or statistics or mathematics. Or the, the ability to keep up with complicated things is very valuable. That requires deep work. And if you really drill down uh, to the neuron level, we can actually uh, see learning in practice down at the level of the neurons. What's actually going on is to learn something complicated, you have to actually give it undistracted, very intense uh, attention. And what happens is at the neuron level, that actually uh, isolates the relevant neural circuits. Um, and when neural circuits are isolated and run again and again, you get a process called myelination. Uh, where you actually get uh, essentially it's a protein sheath that's that's uh, that's actually spun around the the axons of the the neurons and makes the circuit actually fire easier. That's what it actually means at the neuron level <laughs> to learn something. Uh, so it it just requires literally the notion of focus without distraction to learn something. Because if you have lots of unrelated distractions going on, you're, you're looking at Facebook, you have other things in your head, there's too much noise at the neuronal level for you to actually isolate the circuit that you're trying to improve. So when we really dive down in the literature and deliver practice down to the neurons, we see focus without distraction uh, is at the foundation of trying to learn hard new things, which is so valuable. And that's just one of three different reasons why deep work uh, I think is very valuable, but that's one of the important ones. Mm, just going deep. I, I really, I really love this, this context of that, you know, the, the robots and the artificial intelligence are taking over all those menial tasks. So if you're not doing deep work, you're essentially putting yourself at risk, aren't you, Chad? Yeah. I love how, he, I mean, I'm kind of a brain science novice, amateur geek here, but he goes down to the level of explaining how your brain, if you're in this deliberate, distraction-free, focused environment of deep work, um, that there's chemical changes that are happening in your brain that m is making you smarter. I don't know. To me, that is just like super cool. Yeah. You, you know, it, it's and very analogous to when you're working out and your you've, your muscles are sore. That's actually because you've uh, actually torn the muscles and when they grow back, they grow back stronger, but it kind of aches after you've been at the gym. That's exactly why. It's almost like your brain has the same practice, isn't it? Yeah. And for me, just to know that there's this hard science behind this theory of deep work, and you know, Cal didn't do this research, others have, but this this research and, and these findings really, again, if you haven't been sold on the practice of deep work by now, we've got many more clips for you uh, in the rest of the show. Uh, Absolutely, to convince you. Absolutely, I mean we've got um, we've got two big buckets of clips remaining. We've got um, some real. So we're going to go deeper into some science, and then we're going to get into some really practical tips on how you might employ deep work to gain mastery and to be more productive. But a quick production note: don't forget everything you hear on our show is available from Moonshots.io. So I really want to. Uh, encourage you to go and check things out there. And if you're sitting here and you're listening to the show on the Google Play Store or on the uh, Apple iTunes Store, 
please go in and give us a review and a rating. Every show now I've been talking about this, we get a couple more, which is fantastic. I think we need to get up to, what do you reckon's a good number? I think 50 reviews, Chad. What do you reckon? Yeah. Yeah. I've, uh, I've actually spoken to a few listeners who responded to the find your why call to action. So I want to give a big, and I know th- that they have given us a good review. So thank you, Maria, uh, for listening to the show, being a fan. And, uh, yeah, thanks to everyone that reached out after the find your why episode to, to find, find our whys together. Exactly. Exactly. So if you get a chance, jump into your uh, podcatcher software of choice, give us uh, a review, hit those stars, preferably five, um, and give us all of that love because we really do appreciate it. Okay. So now it's time to continue back to the science, back to the hardcore science. Where should we start, Chad Owen? Yeah. So again, Cal, as the as the geek that he is, loves to bring in all of these other disciplines and brain science to to back up this idea of deep work. And so, in addition to this, what was it? Myelination, myelination. There's this idea that switching between different tasks actually is more costly than just doing one thing. So, you know, if you believe, oh, you know, multitasking is great, I can get so much done. Well, we've got a clip here for you that may make you rethink that. Attention residue was a, a concept uh, coined by a researcher named Sophie Leroy. Um, it was actually brought to my attention uh, by Adam Grant, who is this um, phenomenally successful professor at Wharton. He's my age, uh, whereas I'm an assistant professor, though he's a full professor <laughs> at Wharton. He's this very successful guy, and he uses deep work uh, to produce uh, academic papers at a very high rate, incredibly high rate. And when I was asking about how he did it, he said, you have to read about attention residue, Sophie Leroy's research. Uh, and the concept's actually very intuitive. Um, if you switch your attention to something and then bring it back to the task at hand, uh, the thing you just looked at briefly leaves a residue on your attention that actually reduces your cognitive capacity by a non-trivial factor. Uh, so, for example, if you glance at your email inbox and you see in there there's some things that need your attention but you can't take care of at the moment, right? You see some emails you know you'll have to get to. And then you switch your attention back to a deeper task, let's say like writing something. For the next 15 to 25 minutes, you're going to be doing that task at a much lower rate of uh, cognitive capacity because there's been a residue left uh, on your attention from that quick distraction. Uh, And this is one of the key reasons why deep work produces so much more and uh, at such a higher level of value is that it uh, the more you're focusing without distraction, the longer you do it. You clear out all that attention residue. Uh, it's like getting all the cobwebs off of the old gearbox, right? You start to hum along at a much higher cognitive rate. Hmm. I mean, just so true. I mean, that that it's almost like this switching cost between tasks. Uh, I honestly, as he's describing that, switching from one thing to the other, when you go into the second thing, you really have to like spend some time getting your thinking back together and to apply yourself because it's like your brain is still computating on the previous task. Mm-hmm. Like as he describes that, I completely have this feeling that he's talking about this attention residue when I'm switching between things. Do you, do you experience it too, Chad? Yeah, I'm going to bring in one of our favorite uh, visual metaphors here it just it just came to me. I'm making connections between episodes here. Uh, you and I love the flywheel, mm. 
And so if you think about your productivity and your kind of rate of learning uh, as a as a big stone, uh, you know, flywheel, mm. it takes a long time because it's super heavy to get going. So if you start at the email flywheel for 20, 30 minutes and you just just when you maybe kind of get it going, then you you turn around and go to the writing flywheel or the designing flywheel and then you got to like start it up again and finally when that thing gets spinning then you go back to the email one but it stops so you got to get it going again so that's how i visualize uh this idea of 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 the task switching and, and attention deficit but i think i think that's the problem that i'm having right now is that probably just when i should double down and keep going in a particular mode of work um, I feel pulled into a different direction and then, mm. yeah, it's just my productivity, uh, drops off a cliff, mm. um, when I'm, when I'm switching. And what's great is we've, um, we've also managed for this show, we've found one or two experts online who have actually deconstructed cow's work really, really well. And so this is the first of, uh, some clips coming up, which is, um, not from Cal himself, but from other folks that are deconstructing him. And this attention residue thing is so important um, if you really want to understand when you're not at your best and how you can be at your best. This next clip is all about diving into this world of attention residue. So Cal talks about the research on attention residue. So almost all of us know at this stage that multitasking, A, doesn't really exist, you can't actually do two things at once. You just rapidly split your attention, go from this to this to this to this, diminishing your performance in both of them, right? So we all know that multitasking isn't the way to roll, but even those of us who go from meeting to meeting to meeting, so let's say you got a 15 minute meeting and then you go do this and you're actually focused on that particular thing, you're not in the meeting checking your email. You're not multitasking in that sense, but the research has shown that when you split your attention like that and you go from one project to another project to another project to another project, you have something that researchers call attention residue. What you were doing before is still like a residue on your attention. And they've come up with these creative ways to test your performance. And if you're getting your, your attention split like that, going from thing to thing to thing, you perform less well than someone who goes straight in one thing for a longer period of time. You don't have the attention residue which diminishes performance. It's a really cool idea. And this is the strongest reason to create time blocks. So we talk about time blocks a lot. The, uh, the one thing, guys, who wrote The One Thing, Jay Papasan and Gary Keller, talk about the fact that time blocks are the number one power tool for time management. Cal has a formula. He says productivity, like high quality work, is a function of time invested times intensity of focus. So if you want to create at a really high quality and a high volume, you need to combine putting a lot of time into it and intensely focusing. One great way to do that is via time blocks. Not, oh, I did this, and then I did that, and then I did this, and I did that, and I did this, and I did that. That's shallow. You're not gonna do a ton of great work when you split up the same amount of time. Let's say this is nine to 12, right? Or even nine to 11 or whatever, right? Time blocks. Intense focus over an extended period of time leads to extraordinary results. Just as a personal example, 
One of the things that I've done, I didn't realize I was doing it quite explicitly until I read this work on attention residue. I read the book, I then immediately create a PDF, so there's not a gap. Now I do some other things sometimes, but in a big sense, I'm going from one thing to the next. I'm going from one part of the same book to the next part. Once I have the PDF, then I create a time block where right before this, I recorded the MP3 of the philosopher's note. Then I'm recording this TV episode, right? And then I immediately go into creating micro classes on my favorite big ideas. So I have a time block and I don't fracture my attention and have attention residue. So it allows me to create at a much higher level than I would if I was splintering my time like this. There's no way I would go from one part of this phase to checking my email or whatever. And this is why. I would, I, I, we all know this, we've all experienced this, where you kind of get into it and then you want to get into another project, but you're kind of thinking about what you just looked at. You just looked at your email and it's, it's taken up two or five or 10 or even 20% of your attention and you can't give your best here. So keep that in mind, create time blocks and do deep work that matters and get a ton more in a shorter period of time, which is another theme that Cal comes back to. Higher quality work, shorter period of time equals a good equation. Uh, the time block. This is the big, well, we're kind of cheating a little bit here because we're getting into how you might do deep work, but this time block idea, I literally love carving out two or three hour blocks into my agenda. When I'm really managing my time well, I'm thinking about the following week, blocking out that time. And it feels so sacred when you have those, those time blocks. I, I honestly think that making them sacred and then putting them in your uh, agenda in advance, perhaps on a Monday morning you look at the week or even better on a Friday, you actually start allocating those time blocks. This for me, I totally resonate with this. It's all about carving out those time blocks. What, do you, what about you, Chad? Yeah, I think for me, I, I have good intentions, but when it comes to the to the discipline of sticking. So like showing up for that time block being, well, actually being prepared for the time block, showing up to the time block and then working through the time block, something usually goes awry or amiss there. <laughs> and, and sometimes they get blown up or, you know, maybe I misprioritize or again, you know, something urgent comes up. But I think for me, what's been tough is that self-discipline. So I'm kind of curious, like, you carved out an entire day yesterday. Like, how mm. did you do that? How did you have the will and fortitude <laughs> to defend and, and shield yourself from um, all of the attention, you know, the needs on your attention that uh, that came your way? Yeah. So, so part of it was that today is so is so jam packed. So we're sitting here, and I'm ten forty five in the morning, and this is. I've already had a board meeting at five in the morning, a conference call with a client at seven in the morning and uh, prepared for the show and this. So to be quite honest, today was so heavy that I used the opportunity to actually move things around and block the whole day. I literally arrived in the office at about four o'clock in the afternoon. That's and, and then when I got there, all I did was finish the post-production on the course before running off to rugby training. I mean, it was a little frantic because in, in transit, I had to catch up on all my email. In transit, I was uh, making calls. Like, I think I did three calls on the way to the office. <laughs> it was pretty, 
it was a pretty intense day to be quite honest, but I feel like even though I can feel that I'm tired today because of that, it was so worth it because as, as you know, I shipped a really uh, significant piece of work that, and I did it on time. And that, that's, that's really the benefit of the deep work there. Something that you just brought up there that I don't want to let slip is this idea of like a deadline or a goal. Oh, so yeah, good. Yeah. Cause you're they're, like, they're I shipped so it on time, right? Cause there's like the time block and you're like, well, I said I'd get it done today. And so I kind of have to create that time and get it done to kind of, you know, be honest with yourself. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So this time blocking is a big, big gift from, from, uh, from Cal and sort of sets us up for the, uh, for the third part of the show where we're just going to get into how we do this thing called deep work. How do we enjoy this mass productivity tool, this, this pathway to mastery? It all lays in deep work. And I think we've set the context. We've talked about the, the cost of switching between tasks, how we can just be, we, we can we can kind of get to a Friday and go, geez, all I've done is calls and meetings all week. Um, so we've got to we've got to be really invested in doing it another way. And Cal has already set up for us that if you think about working in a knowledge economy, it's not about doing the shallow stuff because that stuff is either going to upwork uh, or it's going to the machines. So you've got to be working on high value problem solving and uh, deep work is the ultimate tool for it. So with that said, Chad Owen, we're going to get into how we might do deep work. And the question is, where are we going to start? Well, Cal gives us, and he gives us a great list uh, of what we can do. And so we've got that list and kind of the enumerated things. So this is just going to be uh, jam-packed sections, or a jam-packed section with lots of great clips. So here's Cal talking about how to cultivate deep work. Yeah, so I, I have four big ideas for how to cultivate a deep work habit. And, and just to clarify what I mean by cultivate, it's really two things. Uh, one, it's actually improving your ability to focus, increasing the depth and intensity of your concentration, plus the actual logistical challenge of making uh, time consistently in your schedule to do the deep work. I think you need both of those things in order to actually cultivate a deep work uh, habit and to take advantage of the deep work hypothesis. So I had four big ideas. I call them uh, rules. Um, The first was work deeply. uh, And this is about the idea that you actually have to, um, you know, how you actually tackle your deep work when you do deep work, uh, that matters, right? And you need to actually give some care to this type of work. You need to protect it and give it what it needs to succeed. The second rule uh, is embrace boredom. And this really captures this idea that deep work is a skill, not a, uh, it's a skill, not a habit. It's, it's like playing the guitar, not flossing your teeth. Uh, it's something you can't just choose to do. You have to train. And uh, so this rule is all about you need to go out there and train your ability to focus and resist distraction. You can't just expect that you'll be able to do it, even if you have the time for it. Uh, The third rule is uh, quit social media. And this is really about uh, if you're going to take your attention and ability to focus seriously, going through your life and cleaning house. 
right? Really making a statement that, that I, I am going to really set up my life in a way that really prioritizes concentration, focus as a, as a tier one skill. And I argue for most professionals over the age of, say, 21, uh, that's probably going to mean that you quit things like Facebook. Uh, and then the final rule is drain the shallows. And, and that's where it's really about uh, how do you uh, reduce and then control what remains of all the shallow obligations that permeates most people's knowledge work professional life. We can't get rid of the non-deep work, but how can you keep it controlled and minimized enough that you're left with the, enough time to do serious deep work and really make a difference? So I think if you can handle do those four things, uh, you can really have a deeper, much more fulfilling life. Ooh, well, um, geez, where do we start breaking that down? Um, Chad, that seems like the essence of doing this thing called deep work. What's the one out of his four, his big four, Chad, which one just grabs you as being the most important or the one that's most relevant to you perhaps? Well, I, I think I'm going to give you the answer you're not expecting. Oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> because I, I actually think the last, I actually think the last one of dealing with the shallows is probably what I should turn my attention to at the moment. You know, I've got, got some things going on at work where I feel like surrounding myself with the right team members, delegating and kind of creating systems to handle the shallow work, um, will, will free me up in, in a lot of ways to, to get focused and do the deep work. But I mean, mm. I got to mm. give a shout out to m- my buddy Cal for saying, get off social media because <laughs> I'm not on social media, <laughs> but like here I am having trouble doing deep work. So like just, just doing that doesn't, uh, doesn't get it done. So I've, I've got more work to do in, in some of the other uh, rules that he has. Oh, uh, that's that, I mean, when, when I heard that clip for the first time, the first person I thought of is Chad Owen. You, you are amongst friends with Cal Newport. Yeah, look, I really, I really like what he's setting up for us here, um, which is, you know, get intentional, clear the decks. Uh, something that I really want to pull out here is, is that he says that it is a skill and not a habit. And if we just unpack that for a second, what he's really saying is this is like being a great athlete. You don't just have to train on the occasion. You have to intentionally train and get better at it. You have to search for the mastery of doing deep work. Uh, it's not like just brushing your teeth and as long as you've just showed up, you're good. You've got to do more than just showing up. You've got to be at your best when you do it because it really is such a battle. I mean, there you are. You said, I don't even use social media and I'm still struggling getting this deep thing happening. <laughs> yeah. Um, that 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 is all the proof we need that this is a, a skill and not just a habit. Yeah, and here we're going to get into some more interesting examples, both from from Cal and the book, and as well as uh, from from Mark Winters, uh, who we've who we've been hearing from. But there's this. So, so you're saying you know it's not just a habit. It's it's really the focus, the intense focus with with the time spent and so again it's not just a recurring calendar time block if you don't show up prepared uh with a goal in mind and and that intense focus you know not much is going to be accomplished so we've got a clip here kind of jumping into uh some more practical ways to implement deep work around this concept of of routines of deep work routines our third big idea 
Cal makes the point. So again, there's the the uh, why you should think about this. Then there's the how to go about doing it. He has four rules. We're going to talk about the first rule of working deeply. You need to create routines. You can't have the intention of, yeah, 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 I get it. I want to do less shallow work and more deep work. You need to actually structure your life with routines and rituals to make that more likely to occur. And he talks about the fact that all great creators had routines. They didn't do it haphazardly. They didn't just hope that inspiration would strike. They created the routine such that it consistently showed up and they did deep work. He has four different ways that we can do this that are awesome. See if I can remember them. One, the monastery approach. Two, the bimodal approach. I'll tell you in detail about these. Three, the rhythmic approach. And four, the journalistic approach. So if we go through those four, the monastery approach to creating routines is kind of the most extreme. It's what I love to do. Uh, Monastery, think of a monk who just detaches themselves from the matrix. They didn't even check email. They're not involved online much, right? Or at all. And they just go to work. I call it hermit mode, right? You just can't get in touch with me. I turn on my phone once a week only because my wife wants me to, right? (laughs) When we're hanging out, just my son and I taking adventures. Um, That's monk mode, hermit mode. Now, a lot of people can't do that. It's extraordinarily powerful if you can do it. Uh, but he realizes, hey, you got to find your own style. Not everyone's going to do that. Uh, the second mode is called bimodal, which basically takes some of the benefit of the monk mode, but you also live kind of a normal life. He uses Carl Jung as an example. Carl Jung was a therapist in Zurich, but he also had a retreat house that he would go to where he was a monk. No distractions at all. He would write, but then he'd go back and he had this bimodal approach to doing deep work. That's the second possible alternative, right? The third one is what Cal calls rhythmic. In rhythmic, it's kind of like Jerry Seinfeld's write a joke every day. If you've heard of that, don't break the chain, right? Where Jerry Seinfeld gave the advice, reportedly, that the way to become a good comedian is to write a joke every day. Create a rhythm, create a streak. And you got your calendar and you X off a day and another day and another day and you don't want to break the streak. You have a rhythm of creativity. That's one way to do deep work. You create a rhythm. It might be at different times during the day, but you don't break your streak. That's the third. The fourth way to do it is journalistic. Now, the journalistic idea is basically like a journalist who needs to write on deadline, right? They've got a story that broke. They got to deliver quickly. They got to know how to go into deep work like that, right? They don't do it on a hermit basis and they don't do the... uh, the rhythmic per se, they just do it on demand, right? This is what Cal says is his preferred or kind of main dominant way to do his deep work. He schedules his days in opportunistically. When he has time, he creates chunks and he does great work consistently and he keeps track of it, which he talks about in the book. Those are our four ways, super quick overview. Obviously check out the book for more, but we've got to find our rhythm, what our personal style is, and then commit to creating those rituals. Well, right here, ladies and gentlemen, we are getting to the very atomic level of deep work. And these four different types of deep work, monastic, bimodal, rhythmic, and journalistic, it is crucial that you work out which one works for you and that you set yourself up for success to do it. So, Chad, are you the monastic, put yourself 
uh, on the top of the mountain? Are you bimodal, sort of every semester? Are you rhythmic, like write a joke every day? Or are you more the journalistic on demand? Which of those types, those modes of deep work speak most to you? I think I would like to be monastic, but bimodal is probably going to be practically how I get it done. Mm. And, you know, as, as I've been talking on the show, I think I need to do a better job of preparing, scheduling, and protecting those times. Yeah, I'm almost thinking like a, an, an even further change of pace or location uh, would do me well. Because I still do work from home sometimes. I also uh, work in the office. I'm, I'm, I'm wondering if there might be a third place uh, where I could do some deep work, you know, leave the, maybe even leave the phone behind, keep Wi-Fi off of my computer or, or just take a notebook. I think, I think those uh, may be some techniques to help me implement the bimodal method. Right. What's really interesting is talking about this more monastic way of working and changing up the location and is that um, there's a couple of uh, guys that uh, write books on planes because they really like the forced, what? yeah, yeah, yeah. That they really like the forced seclusion. So it's called plane riding. If you want to Google this, <laughs> but there's actually people that uh, I'm trying to remember. But there, there is a guy that has written several books on a plane because he's basically no choice but to be in this solitary situation. And I know um, the famous writer Douglas Copeland was also uh, renowned for writing a lot of his books on his plane, plane trips around the world, again, just because it created the conditions for that monastic way of working. Isn't that cool? Yeah, I love that idea. Although I think with the modern uh, entertainment uh, that's on planes now. I'm just I'm too distracted visually from someone watching one movie. Someone is you know there's like 30 movies going on all at the same time within your field of view. Mm. So I'm not sure I could mm -hmm. actually do that. I'd have to go into the into the bathroom or something on the plane to write. But then that doesn't sound like a good <laughs> idea either. <laughs> but um, it's really powerful just to bring everyone back here. Are you monastic, bimodal, rhythmic, or journalistic in how you do, do deep work? And if you don't know, that's cool. Try one of each. Try and get yourself away somewhere unusual just for a day, even take a whole day off, uh, or bimodal, set yourself a, a weekly, monthly, quarterly deep work routine, or do the, the classic Seinfeld one, just write for 10 minutes a day. Mm -hmm. I know certainly... I write uh, my journal almost every day now for several years, and it is a big part of how I like to to start my day. The journalistic one, I think, is a really acquired taste because you, you it's really about no no pre warning. Boom, you have to dive into it. If that works for you, that's all good. But but right here, I think if you can find th the moment and the style of deep work, this will be so powerful that everything else that we're talking about will be much easier, like carving out the time and so forth. If you've experienced that state of flow where you've found the right style of deep work for you, I, I, I think a lot of the other challenges get become right. You know, they, they become easier. Yeah. And I, you know, I think my wife's 
uh, preferred mode is this journalistic mode. She thrives under those tight deadlines. And I think uh, she can get more done in a four hour stretch of time under those conditions than, you know, many people get done in a, in a week. Right. Um, yeah. So it's, it's interesting how there's kind of four different routines in which you can set up to help enable the deep work. But we've got some more ways uh, to learn from Cal and how we can uh, implement deep work in our lives. And here, here's another clip where he's talking about this idea of like being sure or how the outputs of deep work is really high value work. The second is deep work is necessary to produce things of high value. Um, so that the, the output you produce when you're in a state of deep work is really a, your max function. It's at the max of what your current skills and training uh, allows you to do. Whereas work that's done in a state of distraction with more fragmented attention is going to be at a fraction um, of that quality level. You know, we see this all the time, for example, if you want to isolate it, but if you look at the habits of, say, literary novelists, I think they're a good case study here because if you're a literary novelist, uh, the only thing that matters is actually the quality of what you produce, right? This is very much not a, a quantity type job. It doesn't matter that you wrote 100,000 words. It doesn't matter that you wrote a book. If it's not really good as literary novelist, your, your career is sunk. So they care a lot about quality. Not surprisingly, if you look at the work habits of literary novelists, you see that all of their energy goes into protecting themselves from distraction, uh, being able to concentrate more intensely. It's among novelists at the vanguard of deep work. It's where you see things like very elaborate, isolated writing sheds and huge rituals. Um, so deep work helps you produce at a very high level of quality. Mm, that is such a good uh, analogy. It's such a good case study in people that live and die by their deep work are authors. There it is, the book. It's in black and white for everybody to read and to deconstruct and to review. So it's imperative that it's of the highest quality. And it's this this classic archetype of the, the lone wolf rider who inhabits, you know, the peaks of tall mountains in a cabin locked away, that that analogy is is perfect. If we could all be a bit more like those those writers, those authors, where we dedicate that sort of time and intention to producing and thinking. Yeah, it's, it, it is very telling. I mean, I would love to get more high quality work done. So again, this is just reinforcing the fact to me how I need to begin to reapply uh, these routines and practices. You know, he mentioned Carl Jung, and he's talking about writers here. I almost said my favorite author, and I wasn't sure, but I, I, I do actually think he's my favorite author. Stephen King, in his book on writing, describes his his routine. He writes in Maine, and he does have a writing shed. You know, up until very recently, you know, he typed everything out on a typewriter, surrounded himself with other books, and it was just a writing room for him. Mm. So, you know, he could lose himself there for days at times, even though he's you know like a hundred yards from from his main uh, residence up there, but. I, I'm going to, yeah, I, I would love to have a, a writing shack, but you know, th there's a lot of things that need to happen between now and then, but yeah, I think <laughs> um, maybe what I need to do is figure out how to uh, find or create my own uh, writing shack. That's great. Well, the thoughts do not end there on producing at a higher level. So let's have a listen to this next clip, which gets really into the art of extreme productivity. 
And the third reason is the deep work uh, helps you produce at a very high level of productivity. Uh, your rate of output per time invested is significantly higher when you work in a state of deep work uh, as compared to working with more fragmented attention. Uh, one story I tell in the book is of a, a PhD candidate named, uh, well, he's also named Brian, <laughs> but it's not you, uh, but it's another Brian, Brian C., we'll call him. Uh, and he was actually, he had to take a, a job at the university while he was writing his dissertation. He needed some you know, funding. He had to pay the bills. And his first year trying to write his dissertation uh, while also having this job and just trying to find time and do it when he could, he got one chapter done in the whole year. Uh, he said, this is not working. So he put into place some deep work rituals um, inspired in part about uh, my writing on deep work. So he sort of had a way to really think about it clearly where he took this hour and a half every morning, 5 a.m., 5 to 6.30 a.m., and had, for deep, completely undistracted concentration. And he was suddenly producing one chapter every four to five weeks as compared to one thesis chapter per year before. Wow. Well, that, that that's, a, wow. That, that's a 10x increase. Yeah, yeah. It's a really stark case study in the before and after of deep work. And I think we would probably all find when we compared shallow versus deep work that those numbers kind of match up pretty pretty closely. And um, again, I, I think what's interesting is there's a theme that he didn't touch it on his book, but you and I have discovered, which is it's about the space and the environment and setting yourself up for doing everything that Cal says, but how your, your environment plays such a big part in that. I, I, I find that it's almost the path to deep work is becoming so much clearer now because you set the environment and the intention, block the time, be uninterrupted and go intensely deep for like two, three, four hours. Yeah. Yeah. I, I still can't get over like the 10 X improvement. He went from one chapter in a year to a chap, one to two chapters every four to five weeks. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think, I think another thing as, as I kind of think about it and this next clip touches on it, it, it sounds like you really need not just, not just like an important or high value thing, but it really has to matter to you. You know, you have to, I would say you have to bring some passion to it. And, um, I'm easily distractible and I want to try and do many different things. And so I think part of maybe what I could do is, is not just be focused when I'm working, but focus and choose one thing that I bring into my, you know, containers for deep work. And then maybe that's how I can unlock some of the potential that that's in, in the deep work. But here we, we've got a clip talking specifically about being passionate about what you're uh, applying uh, yourself to in deep work. Fourth big idea is an awesome one. It's one thing to say, hey, quit distracting yourself in Shallowville, right? That's not that inspiring though. That's a avoidance behavior. Quit doing that. What you really want to do is discover what you're just, just fired up about. What is the wildly awesome opportunity in your life? What goal could you achieve in the next six to 12 months that's challenging yet feasible that you're really fired up about. It will have a huge positive impact in your life. What is it? Identify that. Get wildly excited about it, right? This is awesome. Then you commit to that. You see what you're going to need to do to get there. And then you crowd out with your enthusiasm all the distractions. You're so excited about your goal and so motivated 
that you move all these no's out. That's a much more effective strategy than saying, oh, I'm gonna eliminate all these distractions. Let it be crowded out by your passion for doing something great. Wow, well, this this touches a lot upon purpose and fulfillment that Sinek covered. But of course, you can only really go deep on stuff that matters to you, stuff that is part of your vision for who you wanna be because that drives your sense of fulfillment, fulfillment and your, your commitment. But part of this is also, I think, touching on this, this intense focus uh, that comes up, just consuming yourself in the moment, in the work, and making sure it's something that matters to you. I, I think that's really good advice for making deep work happen, don't you, Chad? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, as I was teeing up the clip, it was kind of coming together in my mind of, huh, maybe maybe it is that big, carry audacious goal, to borrow a phrase from Jim Collins, that's missing mm-hmm. uh, for me mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. to apply myself towards. I mean, I, I can think of many in my head right now. I just need to choose one. <laughs> that's to, right. That's to right. To pick and do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and and often, you know, picking that one can be tough in itself. And I think as we all try and do more deep work, I I would just pick up something and go with it. Try it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Actually I'm the, uh, the call to action in the find your why episode seemed to work. So I'm going to do it again here. I'm curious for, for you listeners out there, what the one thing that you're going to put into your, your routines for deep work is I'm going to put you on the spot, Mike, Mm -hmm. and ask you, what what yours is? I have a feeling yours and mine might be a bit similar, uh, but I'm curious. You know, what's that one? What's that one thing that you're going to put in uh, to your deep work? And are you talking about like what uh, project, what uh, effort, or yeah, you t- or yeah. the goal? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Okay. Like the 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 six to twelve month thing where you're like, yeah, that's awesome. If we can, uh, if I could do that. Well, certainly um, to build off the the work that I did yesterday that we've mentioned on the show, making this course, I feel like if I could dedicate even three hours a week, every week of just pure deep work on this coursework, cumulatively over time, this would be a ton of uh, syllabus work that would be created. So what I've what I've yeah. really got to do is invest that three hours into writing these uh, innovation courses. I mean, I deeply enjoy the work. I like the challenge of it. It makes my. I mean, you know, there's this saying, Chad, that if you want to learn something, you should teach it. Yep. So yeah, so, absolutely. So you're you're kind of doing it. You're, it's like dual dual payoff yeah, there for you. Yes, that's right. That's right. Now, what what about you? It, what comes to mind, Chad? I mean, you don't have to have all the answers, but is there is there some things that are floating around that that you're tempted I know, by? I know. Um, I had a really great conversation with with someone that, that I've worked with in the past, and. Uh, we were talking about the medium of podcasts and podcasting audio, you know, narratives and, you know, hearing people's voices in your head. I, there's something really fascinating to me about this medium. I think it's directly applicable in my personal life and also at work. So I think if I could become, you know, a mini master uh, of the medium and having experimented in, in lots of different ways, shapes, and forms, both for, for work and in my, my personal life, I, th- I think 
that's something that I'd really like to to turn my attention to. Like, nice. I think it's probably pretty easy to say like, oh, you know, like I want to write a book or I want to like, I was trying to come up with something that wasn't maybe uh, so quick and easy. <laughs> I feel like I could I could do well uh, if if I can carve out the, the the time and do the deep work. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, let's hold each other accountable on the next show uh, when we do our next uh, Cal Newport book, which will be Digital Minimalism, which is fascinating book too. Let's hold ourselves accountable. Let's make sure we've we've done that first session of deep work before we record the next show together. You know how busy I am right now. Oh, man, you're making this real hard on me. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. The excuses, they've begun already. (laughs) Yeah. Well, listen, if we want to get these goals done um, and we want to be at our best when we're on, we also need to know how to turn off. And funnily enough, turning your brain on for deep work also includes the ability to turn it off. And the last clip for this show is, once again, this uh, expert breakdown uh, done on Cal's book. And this thought uh, is really, really tasty. So let's get into the idea of shutdown is complete. The fifth big idea is shutdown complete. Cal talks about the fact that we need to create containers for our creativity. And he's amazing. He doesn't work past five o'clock or 5.30 or something like that. And he doesn't work on weekends. Yet somehow he creates way more than a lot of his peers. He's a young, untenured professor. That's a pressure-filled occupation. And he, he references, kind of juxtapose another professor who complains about how, oh, you need to work so hard and I'm just, my whole life is kind of taken up by all these shallow things and blah, 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 blah. And Cal says, look, when you get serious about stuff like this and you commit to being super productive efficiently, you need to do things like, and one of the ways to do that is to create limits where you're just done. And he has a great idea of shut down complete, end your day. So for him, it's at five or 5.30, I do something similar. Well, I'll finish his story and I'll share mine. He goes through his little routine at the end of the day. He checks his email one last time and he makes sure nothing urgent is sitting in there. He addresses anything urgent, right? And then he looks at what he wanted to get done today that he didn't, what tomorrow's gonna look like and what he can push into tomorrow, right? And then he's complete. Shuts down his computer and he says to himself, shut down complete. Very ritualistically, done. Not going to think about it anymore until tomorrow morning. He's going to go enjoy his family and he's going to give himself the rest that he needs in order to perform at a high level. So this is what we talk about making waves oscillate on off. And one of the best ways to do that is to end your day at a certain time. I mentioned that earlier in the day when I was reading this book, I interviewed Stephen Kotler and, uh, Dan Coyle. They both referenced this exact idea. Stephen Kotler said, being in flow, his thing is about the rise of Superman and the science of flow, optimal human experience. He says, that's expensive. It's hard work to perform at a high level, to give a ton of energy to your craft. And the only way you can do that sustainably is to honor the rest phase. You got to know how to shut down. Jim Lore said, we need to train recovery. It's as important as anything else. Shutdown complete is a way to train recovery so you're consistent, right? Dan Coyle said the same thing. He said that when he was a journalist, he wrote a story on the world's fastest men. And he laughed because he said, these guys, 
When they weren't racing and being the fastest men in the world, they were sleeping. They were napping all the time. They were professional nappers. It's the same thing. If you go that hard, you need to recover. And that applies physically and mentally. If you go hard mentally and you're creating time blocks of deep work and you can't do that more than really three to four hours a day, if you're really doing it, you need to recover. Shut down complete. For me, it's digital sunset. The sun goes down, check in on the day, see what I did that I'm excited about and proud of, what I might not have gotten to, what's on the list for tomorrow, and then boom, turn it off, it's done. Turn it off, it's done. How good is that, Chad Owen? Yeah, I. it's funny because I was trying to see if I have a similar ritual. I do not say shut down complete, although maybe I, I should. I think I've, I think I do this well. I come into the office, I, I do all my work, and right before I leave, I clear my desk. I don't ever leave anything out on my desk. And I turn my monitor off. I don't know, I guess the settings on it are such that it doesn't go to sleep automatically. But as I was thinking, like that's kind of my my shutdown ritual is once that monitor goes off, pick up my backpack and grab the dog and head out the door. Mm. And then I'm kind of, uh, you know, done for my work for the day. I'm curious if, if you have a, a, a similar ritual. Only in as much that I don't take my iPhone into the bedroom. I'm re- I only read on my Kindle. I do no Netflix in bed. I am I am engineering my body to completely turn off when I sleep. It's a bit hard for me because of time zones with uh, with Europe to really mm-hmm. flick the switch in the evenings. Um, similar in the mornings because of the US, but. I'll tell you one area that I'm very aware of, and this Sunday is a great example. I've been really busy uh, the past two weeks, and um, you know, my I've got plans this evening. I have sport and rugby for the entire day tomorrow on Saturday. And so I have a very clear thing that Sunday I'm going to be like a hermit nothing is happening, no work, no productivity. Mm -hmm. I am completely turning into a slob. I'm going to be watching Netflix. I'm going to be having fun with my family, having good food and chilling out. And there's going to be nothing that looks anything like a productive work day. (laughs) No email, no calls, nothing. I'm just going to detox and, and that is crucial for me to be good next week. My Sunday needs to be a total detox. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm actually hoping for some of that tomorrow afternoon. My sister's invited me over to, to hang out with my nephew. So I've got to turn that monitor off by about 3 o'clock in order for, for me to, to, to do that. But I, I, love, I love the verbalization of it. I don't know, yeah. there's something interesting about that. I'm kind of curious if maybe that's something that I, that I could do. Yeah. It's almost like a positive affirmation saying, you know, yeah. how there's that whole science behind saying positive affirmations out aloud to reinforce them. Yeah. Yeah. And like the shutdown complete, it's also like almost like a sigh, like, ah, I got it done. You know, <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's like a small celebration. I, 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 I like that idea. I'm going to experiment with that. I, I just hope my uh, coworkers here, in uh, WeWork, don't think I'm some kind of strange uh, robot uh, <laughs> android. <laughs> I'm sure they they see you as a 
normal two-legged human being. But what a nice thought for us to wrap up this first of our Cal Newport series, this idea of shutdown complete. It's it's a little bit unexpected for, for such an intense, deep work episode. But I find that what we've really, really done when we look at this whole narrative of how we might spend this high productive, high mastery time is it's really about quality not quantity. And that's my big takeout Mm. from revisiting this book. How about you, Chad? We've gone through a dozen or so clips. We've really refreshed ourselves. Do you feel a little bit closer to introducing deep work back into your routine? Yeah, there's so much I'm taking away. You know, find that, that big, hairy, audacious goal that you're really passionate about. Create those time blocks. Defend them like your life depends on it. Create more of those time blocks more often. And just know that doing that high-value work is going to have so many payoffs mm. uh, and literally change the way your brain functions uh, working that way. I mean, it's it's all just so cool and reaffirming to me. I can't wait to start putting it back into practice. Nice, nice. Well... As we said earlier, this is only the first of four shows where we're going super deep on Cal Newport. You've heard it from me first. I think he's the next Simon Sinek. Super smart, practical, sage-like advice for succeeding in this digital age of interruption and um, too many notifications, too many uh, interruptions, if you will. Um so there you have it. That was deep work. Now, the the next three parts of the series, we're going to cover digital minimalism. So good, they can't ignore you. And the body of work Cal has done around learning and being a great student. What a feast of ideas and what a nice compliment to that lofty, purpose-driven um, world that we're in with Simon Sinek. Now we're getting almost into the very practical toolkit, if you will, of making it mm. a reality every single day. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm really excited to go. I've read all of uh, Cal's other books as well, and I, I can't wait to go back and re- revisit them. I feel like uh, incorporating the ideas from all of these, kind of building on the foundation of what you and I uh, uncovered with Simon, like we're, we're kind of building up these uh, superpowers uh, I feel like. Mm. And what's what's quite interesting is while they're very different type of storytellers, one thing that draws Simon and Cal together is just how clear they are in their thoughts. Their ideas are so well thought out. I mean, I found Cal, he's much more pragmatic in his tone, mm-hmm. but he's equally comfortable with his subject matter, don't you think? Yeah, while while Simon brings maybe more engaging stories or narratives into his work, I think Cal brings some irrefutable science mm. and an evidence for mm. it. It's yeah, it's interesting how they're you know they're very convicted in their ideas, but they kind of back them up in different ways. So yeah, it's it's been very interesting uh, to compare and contrast the two. Absolutely. Well, there you have it, Chad. Thank you for for being part of this first of four uh, deep dives into the world of Cal Newport. Deep work seemed like it was the perfect thing. It was like just what you needed to hear about, right, Chad? Yeah, exactly. I've got a few plane rides ahead of me, so 
maybe I can turn those into deep work sessions, see if I <laughs> can write a book or two. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Um, but um, thank you to you, to our listeners. It's been wonderful to jump into a brand new author to discover a whole new world. Very practical. I feel like there's a million and one tips that came out of this show. I can't wait to dive into Digital Minimalism by Cal Newport. Thanks again to everybody. It's been a wonderful journey. And that's a wrap of the Moonshots podcast. 